Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. You don't have to make an oath. It's better for you not to. Do you think God's hand is short? Do you think that he's not going to hear your heart and, and honor that prayer from the bottom of your heart? He's not saying, well, I would do it, but I want an oath. No, he could care less about an oath. But when you're broken before him and you're like, Lord, I just do whatever you've got to do in me. Break me. Lord, whatever you want in my heart, I, I give to you. I'm imperfect. I'm not going to make a vow. Just help me, Lord. And how compassionate is Jesus? And yet we bind ourselves with oaths that we can't keep. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for another edition of Truth in Christ. Today, Pastor Rob continues his final message in James chapter 5. He reminds us that God does not expect us to make promises to him. Even in the hardest of times, James tells us that our yes should be yes and our no should be no. God only expects us to have a sincere heart and not empty promises that we most likely will not keep anyway. Our God is aware of our needs before we are. Instead of promises, we are reminded to pray sincerely to our Father for our needs. Let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 7, God would say this to Jeremiah. He said, do not pray for this people. That doesn't sound like God. He says, don't, don't pray for this people anymore, nor, nor lift up a cry or a prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. There came a point where he's like, I'm, I've had it. Their judgment is coming. It's coming. Think of the perseverance of Jeremiah. And what about in Hebrews? It says, by faith they overcame. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, says this, By the faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. In verse 32, And what, shall, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, speaking of Daniel there, quenched the violence of fires, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Verse 36, Still others had... Mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. Tradition tells us that Manasseh, the king of Israel, got so mad at Isaiah that he stuck him in the hollow of a tree and then had the tree sawn in two. And think of the perseverance, the prophet never giving up, being faithful to the Lord for all those years, telling and telling and nobody would listen. Isn't it a sad thing? 
But that's what he's talking about. He's saying, persevere and be patient as you wait for the coming of the Lord. We need to be patient. We need to be patient. It ought not to surprise us either. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said in the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Truly happy. You know, to be, to be wounded or to be persecuted because you've done something wrong, there's no glory in that. But when you're doing the right thing, when you're sharing the truth of God, the love of God with people, and they hate you for it, and they come against you, there is glory in that. And you will receive a reward for that. Jesus lamented over Jerusalem in Matthew 23. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and and have have stoned them who have been sent to you, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. You weren't willing to listen. Patience, perseverance. In verse 11, back in James now, he says, We indeed count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance in Job uh, of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and very merciful. You know, in, in Job chapter 1, we're just going to go through here. You might want to write these down. But in the very first chapter of Job, we, we see what Job had, all that Job had. There's a catalog of his possessions. It says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and the man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters born to him. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And so here is this man with all of these possessions, and Satan comes before the Lord in in in, in the heavens, and we're given a clue here of what's going on in the heavenlies at this time, and Satan comes before God and says, uh, and God says, oh, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm just kind of going around, looking around the earth. And the Lord says to him, have you considered my servant Job? And you might think to yourself, what a horrible thing. But God was going to showcase this man's faith for everyone to see and for all of us to benefit from. Think of the thousands, the millions of people who have benefited from this man's calamities and how at the end he, he persevered. It was very difficult in fact, there came a point in the book where you see in chapter 2 and chapter 3 how he lost everything. Within a very short period of time, he lost his sons, his daughters. He lost all of his possessions. And then his friends come and they try to encourage him. And then they start pointing the finger at him. Well, you must have been in sin, brother, because you lost everything. God's judging you. And this battle goes back and forth for quite a long time. And then finally, in verse 38 through 40, or chapter 38 through 41, God intervenes and he says, Where were you, Job, when I made the heavens and the earth, when I made the frost, when I made Leviathan, when I made all these things? And God just brags of his omnipotence. And I love that, those chapters. If you want to get encouraged, read those, three, those couple of chapters. But I love at the, at the very end what he says to Job in, ch- in chapter uh, 42, verses 12 and 13. After all of that toil, the many, and God even allows Job himself to be afflicted with sores and boils where he would scrape himself with a, with a, with a pottery shards. He would scrape himself. Have you been so painful where you're just like, you're just scraping yourself because you, you know, it's like poison ivy times 12, whatever that may be, and you're just really uncomfortable for a very long period of time. 
for many, many days, many days. His wife even said, just curse God and die, Job. Thank you, honey. <laughs> love you too. <laughs> Be warmed and filled. But I love what God does. It says, now the Lord, uh, chapter 42, verse 12, he says, Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had now 14,000 sheep before he had seven. He had 6,000 camels now before he only had 3,000 camels. 1,000 yoke of oxen before he had 500. 1,000 female donkeys before he had only 500. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. I wonder why they didn't double. Well, they did, actually. You know why? He didn't double them on the earth because his three seven sons and three daughters were in glory. They were waiting for him. So he got his double because now he had seven sons and three daughters more, and in glory he will see them. See, that's a difference. This man was going to go to glory, and he lived the rest of his days very blessed, but God used him as, a, as, a, as an example of perseverance, of patience. And did he, did he pass the test with flying colors? Was, he, was his witness always wonderful? No, he struggled, and just like we would struggle. They're real people. This is a real story. This is not some uh, children's story. This is real. Jesus said it was real. Other biblical you know, uh, men and women they, they attest to this. This is not just some story that was made up. I believe this happened. This is not an allegory. And yet he persevered in the face of trials. And folks, we need to do that as well. And you know, the extent of our relationship with him, the better we're going to be through that trial. So I would encourage you, we have some dark things coming on the horizon, but don't give in to them. Don't give in to them. Verse 12, But all above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. It's very easy for us to make oaths. You know, Jesus forbids oaths. He says, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, don't swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And certainly James knew what Jesus said, and I'm sure in this letter here, in the very last part, he's referring to what Jesus had said. You know, we're more likely to make an oath when we are under pressure of some kind, and these believers were under a lot of pressure, and they were, um, just like us, willing to make an oath just to get out of an uncomfortable situation. Have you ever been under, under pressure? And you say, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll do this, I'll do this. Hmm. I remember back in 1991... I really wanted to win this competition. It was a classical guitar. It was a young artist competition in southwest Florida, and it was their uh, 26th annual thing. And so I, I literally, uh, I prayed, and I, I said, Lord, if you allow me to win this competition, because it was a, a big concert following it and prize money and all this stuff, if you let me win this competition, I'll give you my life. I told him that. I said, I'll give you my life. I'll do whatever you want. And you know what? He allowed me to win <laughs> over pianists, instrumentalists, violinists, uh, pian uh, vocalists. I was the first guitar, uh, classical guitarist in the history of the competition to win this thing. And I was really excited, right? And the Lord's going, okay. Now, where's the heart? Well, I walked away. 
And then three years later, he nailed me. He got me. And I'm so glad he did. But, you know, so we make our oaths, and we, we can't even follow through with them. I made the oath and, uh, because I really wanted something, because I was under pressure. I really wanted this. And, and I, it's amazing how sometimes the Lord gives you something, even when your heart is not right, and you make an oath. And he's like, I know you're not going to fulfill this, Rob, but I'm going to do something in your life, and I'm going to get a hold of you, and you're going to know it, and I'm going to use your life. And here I am today, amazing, as a result of a silly oath that I made. I'm sure that there's a lot more to it than that, but that's just one little you know, thing. But God, we don't have to make oaths to God. It's better that we don't. You know, Hannah made an oath. Remember when she, and when she was giving when she gave birth to Samuel, she's like, "I'm going to give him to Eli, the priest there, and and Lord, I'll give him to you, and he'll serve you all the days of his life." And you remember what happened that as she was weaning him, her husband says, "I'm, I'm, par- I'm paraphrasing here for the sake of time." <laughs> he said, "Make sure when you wean the child that you take him, because we want to make sure that we do this." Because she made that oath in front of her husband, and that oath had to stand. And he's like, make sure you get it done. After you have weaned him, come up with us to Jerusalem and we'll, or uh, to Shiloh, and we'll take care of this, and, and we'll fulfill that oath that we made to the Lord. And so she did. You can check out in, uh, in Numbers chapter 30, verses 1 through 8, it talks about this idea of oaths. And let me just read verse 6 through 8 here in Numbers 30. It says, If indeed, if, if, if a woman, she takes a husband while bound by her vows or a rash utterance from her lips comes about by which she bound herself and her husband hears it and makes no response to her on that day that he hears, then her vows shall stand and her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on the day that he hears it, he shall make void her vow which she took and what she uttered with her lips by what she bound herself and the Lord will release her. And that's exactly what happened. She did this in front of her husband and that's why um, Elkanah would say, make sure, Hannah, that you we, we follow through with this because this is important. We want to follow the Lord. We want to do this right. But God never required of her to, um, to make a vow. She made a vow because she was desperate. Have you been so desperate that you're like, Lord, I'll do anything. If you take this cancer from me, God, I will go door to door sharing your word with a stack of Bibles. <laughs> Have you been so desperate? Lord, if you bring my husband back to me, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll sell my house. I'll get rid of all the things. Lord, if you bring my wife back to me, if you bring my kids, my, my prodigals, if you bring them home, Lord, I'll do anything you ask. You don't have to make those kind of promises. Just pray. Say, God, bring them back. Bring them back. You don't have to make an oath. It's better for you not to. Do you think God's hand is short? Do you think that he's not going to hear your heart and, and honor that prayer? from the bottom of your heart, he's not saying, well, I would do it, but I want an oath. No, he could care less about an oath. But when you're broken before him and you're like, Lord, I just do whatever you've got to do in me. Break me. Lord, whatever you want in my heart, I I give to you. I'm imperfect. I'm not going to make a vow. Just help me, Lord. How compassionate is Jesus? And yet we bind ourselves with oaths that we can't keep. 
In fact, doesn't that say that in just the prior chapter that we were looking at in James? Didn't James say, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will shall live and do this or that. And I, I'm trying to live by this. Some of you will say, Well, Let's do this. Lord willing, I'll see you tomorrow. Lord willing, I'll be there. (laughs) You always have to say Lord willing because you don't know what's going to happen. I was on my way to go bowling with my father-in-law and my daughter a couple Saturdays ago, and I'm like, we're going bowling. And I get halfway there, and my, my catalytic converter just drops right out from underneath the car, clunk, loud noise, and then my battery dies. And I almost, I mean, literally, the battery just died. I mean, at the same moment, it died. It's just toast, gone. And I'm like, I'm like I better get out of this car. It's going to be consumed in flame any minute, you know? I mean, how often does that happen? Your thing falls down, your battery dies, like, what I do? <laughs> it's that oath you made, Kellogg. <laughs> you didn't come through on your end of the deal, and I'm here to smoke you. <laughs> no, he didn't. But, you know, I was going to go. We were going to go there. We had plans. Couldn't make it. We never went. So if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. Amen? But going on to verse 13, James goes on. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. And we ought to weep with those who weep and, and rejoice with those who rejoice. And, boy, it's such a wonderful thing when you can have a brother or sister that's going through a difficult thing and you can draw alongside them and you can cry with them privately. You can just get together with them. You can cry with them and you can rejoice with them over something great that has happened, a job promotion. Maybe you're just getting a new job and now it pays triple what you were getting before and now you can pay your kids tuition at a local Christian school and you're overjoyed. Now you can provide for yourself and you're overjoyed. Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. And we ought to sing psalms. Is any among you sick? Verse 14, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. The idea is not save him you know, in the sense of salvation, but it will preserve him. The Greek word is sozo. It's, it just means to deliver or to, um, to give deliverance from. So in the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And, he, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I love in Matthew chapter 9. This is one of my favorite passages in Matthew. It says, Jesus got into a boat and he crossed over. And he came to his own city. And then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Hmm, That's kind of interesting. If I'm paralytic and I'm coming before you, I would have expected raise up and walk, Right? But he said, your sins are forgiven. Hmm. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, verse 3, this man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, arise and take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. 
I love it. When the multitudes saw it, they marveled, and then they glorified God who had given such power to men. You know, as they were looking around at this man, Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven, isn't that the greater thing? Who can forgive sins? Nobody but God. You might be able to give medicine to a man who is wounded to bring him to health again. That's an easier thing for man to do. But God looks upon this man, he says, you know what, your real problem is your sin. And I forgive you of your sin. And they got all indignant. And I love what Jesus did. Because you can't tell the miracle. When Jesus says, I forgive you of your sin, you can't see that with your eye, can you? I can say you've been forgiven all day long. There's no way to prove it. But what Jesus does is he backs it up with a miracle. And that's usually what miracles are used for, is to confirm the word of God. They're not just done to make everybody happy and to some kind of show. That's what Herod wanted from Jesus. when He, he wanted to meet Jesus, that he might do some miracle before him. Jesus is not some entertainer. He's not some uh, master of ceremonies at the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. He's not, you know, not going to stand there with a whistle and make lions jump through hoops of fire. The harder thing was your sins are forgiven, but that you may know <laughs> that I have the power to do all of this and much, much more. Rise up and take your bed and walk. And this man stood up whole again. Now they're looking at him going, oh my, who is this? Only God can do this. Well, duh. <laughs> I've actually written in my Bible, duh. <laughs> of course, he's God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? Hallelujah. That's right. <laughs> Verse 16, he says, in James now, he says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And you remember what Job did? We were just looking at the book of Job. At the very end, in that, in that very last chapter, I love what it says, and we're just going to look at verses 5 through 10. The effectual fervent prayer, prayer of a righteous man avails much. Notice what happened in chapter 42, beginning in verse 5. Job says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, who was one of Job's friends, his unprofitable friends, uncomforting friends, God says to him, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, and my servant Job has. Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall do what? He'll pray for you. He'll pray for you. God saw him righteous, not because he was perfect. He did the right things, though. Every day he would make sacrifices for his kids before they were killed. Remember in the first couple of chapters? He would wake up every morning just in case they had sinned. He would make offerings on behalf of them. This man was righteous in God's sight. And he was a trophy of God's faithfulness and grace. And that's why God could say, have you considered my servant Job? And the devil's like, I could do so much to him, and he's just going to curse you to, to, to your face. God says, try it. Go for it. But don't touch him. And then later on, after he loses everything, the devil comes back again and says, yeah, you can take everything away from him, but if you allow me to touch his body, he'll curse you to your face. God says, okay, try it. He knew what was inside Job. Job didn't even know at the time what was inside of him. 
But God knew, and he knows what's inside of you. He knows how far that rubber band can stretch. You know, I think we should change our logo. <laughs> Instead of the, the dove with the, with the wheat and the Bible, let's just have a big rubber band stretched out like that with a little motion around it like it's at the brink. No, he knows how far he can take you. And he puts you in places that are over your head. He stretches you so much, and you're like, God, if you do another thing, I'm going to die just like he did with Job. But Job prayed for his friends. He says, for I will accept you. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of James. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office for ordering details. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio or sanctuary messages in MP3 format, free of charge, from the resources link. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcast. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until the same time on Monday, this has been Truth in Christ.